0: up your voice. That's a great thought for us to hold on to as we go into the week, that we should lift up our voice. We should certainly give praise to our Father in Heaven and lift up our voice. We live in a world where everybody wants to have a voice, and we can have a voice, and we can lift up our voices and proclaim the great story, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what He has done for us. Lift up your voice and look for those opportunities. I have been really excited. We had a great time yesterday here um, seeing uh, Angelique being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of her sins, we have a new sister in Christ, and it certainly is reason for us to rejoice. And so proud of her and her daughter uh, Jade, and the example of uh, of her daughter. And we were talking about that a little bit yesterday. I told her, I said, your daughter uh, is now your sister, your sister in Christ. And so uh, let's encourage them, and certainly let's rejoice. I know there are studies that are going to be taking place this week as well and let's pray. Um, great things are going on, and people are are talking to others and studying the Word of God, and so let's keep looking for those opportunity opportunities to study God's Word. In Acts chapter 19, I did a sermon from Acts chapter 19 this past winter, and if you want more details about Acts chapter 19, that sermon is on our website. We have a very excellent website. Uh, the brothers here have done an excellent job uh, getting all of the material there and very easy to use and follow. You can really find anything you're looking for. In Acts chapter 19, we come across a very interesting conversation that Paul had in the first few verses with some disciples in Ephesus. In Acts 19, he came across some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, So Paul would have to go and teach them and help them to understand some things. They had only been baptized with John's baptism, so now they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by the authority of Jesus Christ. That response, however, from those individuals is interesting, isn't it? Where they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Who are you talking about? There's a lot of people today that really don't know too much about the Holy Spirit. There are some people that are actually afraid to even think about studying what the Bible teaches regarding the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of people, if we can just be honest, that are often confused about what the Bible says concerning the Holy Spirit. I believe there are some reasons why, and I'm certainly not trying to talk down upon anyone, uh, because studying the Holy Spirit at times, it can be very, he can be very challenging. There's a lot of things to really think about as well, but I think part of the confusion has come as a result of Calvinism. Calvinism has greatly confused individuals uh, about the Holy Spirit. Pentecostalism throughout the 20th century poor Bible study, and maybe sometimes just the fear of studying the subject at all. But we should never fear what's in the Word of God. We have the Scriptures for a reason. In fact, we have the Scriptures because of the Holy Spirit. And we need to consider what the Holy Spirit has to say about Himself. Now, if you remember the survey, there were some comments on our survey this past year or leading up to this year, um, and there were some suggestions or recommendations about uh, doing some sermons or some teaching on the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I want to talk about getting to know the Holy Spirit. Now, this study or this sermon here will not be comprehensive by any stretch of the imagination, but we are going to look at the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible open, open it up to the book of Acts. If you remember, this is where the rest of our Bible reading is coming, for, uh, coming from for 2019. Now, one of the things I would encourage you to do, again, the Bible reading is something that it's, a, it's another tool for us to have. Uh, you're not being forced to do the Bible reading in Acts chapter, or in the book of Acts, and also in the book of Luke that we looked at, but I would encourage you to do that. And one of the reasons why is because you learn so much, we will learn so much about the Holy Spirit, because we see the Holy Spirit really in action in the book of Acts, if you're looking for one place, and there's certainly more books, obviously, to look at, both in the Old Testament, we read and see the Holy Spirit in action. But the book of Acts, in particular, has so much information revealed to us what we can, and things that we can learn concerning the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do, I want us to get to know the Holy Spirit a little bit more. I want us to primarily study from this one book. We will go to the book of John for a little bit as well. And a couple of other passages, but for the most part, we're going to be in the book of Acts if you're taking notes and if you're following along. I want us to study this because not just because it's a recommendation, but also because we should know who the Holy Spirit is, and we should have great confidence in our understanding and to also guard our faith because there is so much false doctrine that is out there and confusion that is out there. So I want to make sure that we are grounded when it comes to what the Scriptures teach regarding the Holy Spirit. So as I was putting this together, I thought we could first begin with the nature of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why is because when you read in Acts chapter 1, let's go to the very first chapter, and this week, by the way, we will be in Acts chapter nine. When you read Acts chapter one, we are basically immediately introduced to the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice what Luke, who penned this to Theophilus, said in Acts chapter one and verse one. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had been, after had, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So what's interesting is that Luke immediately begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we see part of the nature of the Holy Spirit. We see that he is described as what? He's described as holy. And that's what we find when we read in the book of Acts and other books. You look at verse number 8, it says, But you will receive power... Jesus here was speaking to his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the first thought I want you to think about is that when you think about the Holy Spirit, consider his nature, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is good, just like the Father and the Son. And as we think about the Holy Spirit, it's important to note how we even refer to the Spirit. Here, Luke referred to him as the Holy Spirit, and in other passages, it makes it very clear how we should refer to him. The Holy Spirit is not described as some it or uh, an impersonal force or anything like that. There are some denominations that teach that, but rather, notice how Jesus described the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave quickly from the book of Acts and then come right back, but look at John chapter 16, please. So Jesus here in John chapter 16 was speaking to his disciples. And that's going to be important to remember as we think about what we hear concerning the spirit. So we know he's referred to as holy. Here he's going to be referred to as the spirit of truth. That's what he's going to reveal. He's going to reveal truth and provide truth. And John 16 and verse 12 and 13, I also want you to notice something else. Jesus said in verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, notice how he's." described as he, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. I think that's a really powerful point of how even Jesus described the spirit as the spirit of truth and describing him as he. And so that is certainly going to help us to see something. It helps us to see that as we think about his nature, that the spirit possesses attributes of a person or individual. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. There are some examples that we read in the book of Acts that helps us to see these attributes that he possesses. For one, let's go back to Acts and look at Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, verse number 1, we find a number of disciples gathered in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, verse number 1, I just want you to notice a language that we find in verse number 2. The Bible says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Do you hear that? The whole, or read that to you. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So we see the Holy Spirit speaks. And look at verse number three. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So just notice what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is said to speak. He is said also to send out. Look over in Acts chapter nine and verse number 31. While the church had experienced numerous persecutions from within and also without, challenges from within and without, we find that they did experience Peace. They were able to experience some some peaceful moments, and what we find here again in Acts nine and verse thirty-one, I think, helps us to understand a little bit more about the nature of the Spirit. So, the church throughout all Judea and Galia, or sorry, Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So he's said to speak, he is said to send out, he is said to comfort. Look at Acts chapter 16 and verse number 6. And these help us to see that the way that he is described as he uh, and these attributes of these qualities, he possesses these attributes of a person or individual. And so we need to be careful how we even refer to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 16 and verse number 6, they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian Galatian region having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 as another example of what we see the Spirit doing, which helps us to understand more of his nature as well. This was that long sermon that Stephen gave in Acts chapter 7, where he really gives us a nice little brief history of the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, as he began to wrap up his sermon, he said, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. The Holy Spirit is is, is said that he can be resisted And we know that they would ultimately resist him by not listening to the words of the prophets. And so the Spirit can even be resisted. Those details, those are brief. Again, this is just kind of getting to know the Holy Spirit. But those give us some insight when we start to look at the nature. And so as we think about the nature of the Spirit, we understand that Uh, He is holy, righteous, good, just like the Father and the Son. He possesses attributes of a person or individual, individual, and he is part of the Godhead. He is deity. In Acts 17 and verse 29, some translations will say Godhead, others will say the divine nature. When Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 17, as he's teaching them about the true and living God, we find this language here in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 29. He said, "...being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man." The Godhead is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He is deity. In Acts 5, if you read the Bible reading, look over in Acts chapter 5, "...remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit." that's what the text says they lied to the Holy Spirit then later on it also says that they lied to God and I think that's just describing that the Holy Spirit indeed he is God in Acts 5 and verse 1 but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sowed a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it he laid it at the apostles feet but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Drop down to verse 4. While it remained unsowed, did it not remain your own? And after it was sowed, was it not under your control? Why is it? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so I think that helps us to understand more about his nature, that indeed the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, that he is divine, that he is deity. Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit. And so it's correct to describe him as God. Because he is God, the Spirit, he possesses the quality or essence of being divine or being God. And so the book of Acts gives us more insight of the nature of the Holy Spirit. It's just like when one possesses manhood, it means that he possesses the qualities of being man. And certainly the Spirit possesses the qualities of being God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they possess the qualities or essence of being God. They make up the Godhead. They are eternal. They are omnipresent. They are omniscient. We see these qualities in them. Now, it is important to understand that as we study all of this, that the Bible is very clear that there is one God. The Bible makes that very clear. And yet the Bible also makes it clear that there are three distinct persons that make up the Godhead. They are one, however, in sense of agreement, purpose, and action. And so as we think about the Godhead or speak about the Godhead, there's something else we also need to think about as well, that it's important to note that a distinction needs to be made between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where I believe Pentecostalism is in error in some aspects as they talk about God. As we think about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father is not the Son. The son is not the father, the spirit is not the son, the son is not the spirit. There is a distinction between or that needs to be made between the father, son, and holy spirit. In fact, when you go back to Acts chapter 1, did you read that with me? In Acts 1 and verse 2, when Luke introduces us or mentions the holy spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 2, he says until that day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the holy spirit. There's a distinction that Luke is making between the Son and the Spirit. And so understanding this becomes important as you think about the Godhead and as you think about the fact that the Spirit indeed is deity. Now, the book of Acts teaches us something else as we think about the nature of the Holy Spirit, and it helps us to see that the Spirit works in conjunction with the Father and the Son. I'm looking at Acts chapter 2. Turn over there real quickly. We read this Uh, earlier in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, there's so much in this one chapter. You could spend three, four months just studying this one chapter. But I I just want you to notice in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22, it says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and for knowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised them up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. What we see is that the Father had a predetermined plan. And before the foundation of the world, God had a plan of how he was going to redeem mankind. What we see further is that Jesus came to help execute that plan. He lived here on earth, and he lived a sinless life, and he performed miracles among those during that time that they all knew about. And he would die. He would die on the cross, and yet he would also be raised from the grave. And we also learn from the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit would assist, revealing this plan. Remember back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, I talked about this when we introduced this book a a couple of months ago. Verse one, I'm sorry, verse eight of chapter one is really kind of like a launching point of the entire book where Jesus is speaking to the apostles. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is gonna help reveal this plan of God. And so all three, Work together, work in conjunction. The Spirit is working along with the Father and the Son. He was going to lead the apostles, and he did, into all truth. That's John 16, verse 12 and 13. So that just gives us a brief introduction to the nature of the Holy Spirit, primarily all from the book of Acts. But the book of Acts doesn't stop just talking about the nature of the Spirit. We learn something else as we see the Spirit in action, that the Spirit would guide the apostles in all truth. And this is emphasized time and time again. Hold your place in Acts and go back to John 16. I know we read it already, but I want to read it again for the sake of emphasis. In John 16, remember the context, which began back in chapter 13 as Jesus is speaking to his apostles. In John 16, verse 12 and 13, Jesus told his apostles these words I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. That was Jesus speaking to the apostles, that that the Holy Spirit was going to guide them into all truth. And that becomes really important as we think about the book of Acts and even understanding some things today, that the Spirit was going to guide the apostles into all truth. Go back to John 14, please. Remember, this is the same conversation. And John 14, notice what Jesus says in verse number 26 to his apostles. Again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, but the Helper, and that's an interesting way to describe him. So the Spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. That's to the apostles. He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. See, the apostles were with Jesus throughout his ministry, but it wasn't going to be left up to them to try to remember every single thing. The Spirit was going to be with them to help them to remember all things that Jesus had said. So they wouldn't be left up to their own understanding. Now, prior to his ascension, Look at Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, written by the same person who wrote the book of Acts, Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, and Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is speaking to his apostles, and he says in verse 46, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. You are witnesses of these things. He's talking about the apostles. And behold, I am sending forth. Here's where I wanted to get to. I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. And we see what that was. We saw what that was with what Jesus said in Acts 1 and verse 8. The promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So brothers and sisters, what we see here, Jesus told his apostles to tarry in Jerusalem. You go back to the book of Acts, that's exactly what they were doing. In Acts chapter 1, they were in Jerusalem, and they are going to listen to what Jesus had told them, and they were going to wait for that power from on high. They would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit and be clothed with power from on high. That's what we read in Acts chapter 2. So look at the first four verses, please, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. I was talking about the apostles. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent, rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire uh, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the apostles. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. There's no chapter break from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Chapter 1 ends with talking about the 12 apostles. It's just a continuation. So here we see uh, Luke is talking about the apostles. They received power from on high. That was the promise. And now we see this happening. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were able to perform miracles like speaking in tongues. And when they received this the Spirit's gonna guide them into all truth. And so that's what we see. We see them beginning to to speak in tongues that languages they had never previously known. They were able to perform a variety of miracles because now they had received this power from on high. Look at I'm just gonna give you a couple of examples here because I just want you to see what was happening. It's so interesting. In verse 43, after they received this power from on high, It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. They were able to perform these miraculous gifts. And as Peter and the others are speaking on the day of Pentecost, they are being guided by the Holy Spirit. The words that they are speaking, the words that they would teach. Let me just hit the pause button here and pull this up. So the Holy Spirit, this is the first thought I want you to see. The Holy Spirit gave the apostles the words to say and the words to write. That's what we learn from uh, John chapter 16. That's what we learned from John chapter 14. And we also see they were also able to perform a variety of miracles all throughout the book of Acts. This is what we see time and time again. So as you think about the Spirit guiding the apostles... Something very important needs to be said, and we need to make sure that we hold on to this, that what they said, their words were inspired words, all right? And that's, in fact, what the Bible, what the book of Acts helps us to see, that they, indeed, they were guided into all truth, that their words were inspired. In fact, we see how the Holy Spirit inspired other individuals who wrote the scriptures. Look back in Acts chapter one and verse number sixteen. In Acts chapter one and verse sixteen, this is Peter, and he's he's going to speak about what was foretold by King David. In Acts one and verse sixteen, I'm showing you this. I just want you to see how the Holy Spirit. This is this is what he does. He would guide. He would give the very words to write and speak to these men who penned the scriptures, brethren. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit. Foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And so the Spirit would guide these men. They guide, he guided the apostles. And to all truth, he guided their words, what they would say, and what they would write. That's why when you read passages like in First Peter, and I'm giving you a lot of scriptures here for a reason. Look over in First Peter chapter 1. Peter is going to remind his listeners, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is going to remind his listeners that what has been written by these men of old, these were men who were guided or moved by the Holy Spirit. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse number 20 and 21, Peter said this, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so this helps us to see that the apostles, they were guided by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit guided the apostles in all truth. Another example of this is found In Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul spoke about the revelation he received and what he would do with that revelation. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul said this. In Ephesians 3, verses 3, 4, and 5, that by revelation there was made known to me. Uh, There are things that were revealed to him. The mystery, as I wrote before in brief, that mystery is going to be discussed later on in the chapter of both Jews and Gentiles being a part of the same body. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So the Spirit guided the prophets, the Spirit guided the apostles. And so that's something that we need to see as we read the book of Acts, all right, that these men were guided by the Holy Spirit. Everybody still with me? All right, good. Uh, Now there's something else I want you to think about here as we think about the Spirit guiding the apostles. And this is important as well. Through their words, the Spirit convicted the hearts of men. That becomes really important as well. That through the words of the apostles, the Spirit will convict the hearts of men. That's actually what Jesus said in John 16. Go back to John 16. Remember in John 16, we've looked at verses 12 and 13, but go up a couple of verses here. In the same context, in verse number 7, Jesus says, I have to go away. And let me tell you why. In John 16 and verse number 7, Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus was speaking to the apostles. Remember, he said the Spirit's going to guide you in all truth and I have to go away so that he is able to come. And when he does, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we see. Jesus departed. He ascended back into heaven, Acts chapter 1. The Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. And what would the Spirit do? The Spirit would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But how would he go about doing this? He would go about doing it through the words that were proclaimed by these men. Let me give you a couple of examples. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. We've already seen him talk about Jesus and his ministry. As Peter sets out to prove Jesus is both Lord and Christ, I want you to notice the response of the people. In verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? These men were convicted. How? It was through the inspired words of the Spirit that Peter had proclaimed. Look over quickly in Acts chapter 7. We read this. Let's read another passage in Acts chapter 7. We know that these men in Acts chapter 7, Stephen said, had been resisting the Holy Spirit. Now look at the response in verse 54 of the men. Now, when they heard this, Acts seven fifty four. now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Can't you say that these men have been convicted? How? Through the words of Stephen. And certainly, his words were inspired words of the Spirit. Look over in Acts chapter 24. In Acts chapter 24, we find Paul, he's in prison, and he's going to have this study with uh, a couple, Felix and um, Drusilla. History shows us Felix and Drusilla should have never been married. All right. They're in an unlawful marriage. They came looking uh, to hear from Paul. They are actually looking for money. But I want you just to notice the response of them. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish, uh, Jewish and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. No doubt about it, that man and his wife, they were convicted of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And it was through the inspired words of the Apostle Paul. So this is how the Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Men in the first century, they were convicted by words of the Holy Spirit, preached and words also that were written. And so think about this, a rejection of listening to the words of the Holy Spirit, which we get through his word, we can, or one can resist him. That's what, that's what uh, the Bible said in Acts chapter 7, that they resisted the Holy Spirit. And one can actually grieve the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 30, by not listening and being obedient to what he has said. So this is why this point is so important. There's more that we could say, but I just want you to take note of this. This holds great significance for you and for me. The Spirit guided the apostles in all truth. He gave them the words to say and the words to write. And it's through their words the Spirit convicts the hearts of men. Now, there's more to say, but I want to wrap this up by looking at this one last thought today. What about the Holy Spirit today? We see how the Holy Spirit was acting uh, the things that he was doing in the first century. But what about the Holy Spirit today? As we consider the Holy Spirit, I think this is a question that a lot of people have, all right? And I think there are some things that we can say. I want to just kind of con- uh, continue on what we just talked about. Number one, we need to know that the Holy Spirit continues to convict. He continues to convict the hearts of men even today of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment he continues to do this and the way that he continues to do this is through his words you see just as men were convicted by the words of the holy spirit in the first century the same takes place today the spirit's words are just as powerful now as they were then and if you want to hear from him you need to open up his word which means that we need to listen to him Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We need to be listening to what God has to say, what the Spirit has to say. And let me tell you why. Because He can still be resisted today when we refuse to listen to what He has to say and obey what He has to say. We can still grieve. We can grieve the Holy Spirit today. People grieve the Holy Spirit because they fail to listen to Him. That's a powerful thought for us to really ponder Now, I didn't go into all the details. I have more notes. But in the first century, the apostles were able to perform miracles. When they received that power from on high, when they were baptized with the Spirit, beginning in Acts chapter 2, in that first part, they were able to speak in a language they had not learned in times past. They were able to perform miracles. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. The miracles that the apostles were performing from the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit, those miracles have ceased. Now, some people will push back on that, but I believe miracles have ceased. Many believe the Spirit is still giving people power for miracles. That's not true. But we do need to remember something. It was the apostles who received this power from on high. It was a promise to them, as we saw. It wasn't to everyone. And there was a purpose behind that power. We see the apostles, these miracles help confirm the message. It helped confirm the message, the words that they spoke. And we need to understand that these words are so powerful for us today. The words that we have in this book are sufficient. We really need to believe that. They are sufficient for us when it comes to believing what God wants us to do. Miracles are no longer taking place. They were in the first century, but they are no longer taking place. Let me just give you a couple of passages here. In Acts chapter 6, remember in Acts chapter 6, Seven men were appointed to handle a problem that was taking place in the church. If you read chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, the only people you see performing miracles are the apostles. It's not until Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7 or verse 6 and 7, where you see others now performing miracles. These they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs, among the people. So now we find someone outside of the apostles performing miracles, and that's why in Acts chapter 8 we see Philip. He was one of those seven. He now is performing miracles, and he was not one of the apostles. That was Philip the evangelist. And what we what we also find is that in Acts chapter 8, when Peter and John hear about the gospel going to Samaria, they go to Samaria to impart spiritual gifts. Why would they need to do that if Philip is already there? Because it was only going to be through the laying on of the hands of the apostles. And so look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 14 and 15. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were saved They had a relationship, fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they had not received miraculous powers from the Spirit. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So that's how these individuals began to receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit with respect to the miracles. And Simon would see that this power was now being imparted through the laying on of hands. That's verse 18. That's why he's going to offer them money. And so I'm saying all this. Where are you going with this, Ben? I'm going somewhere. What I'm saying is miracles have ceased. They have served their purpose. Yet the word of God is still here. And we can be convicted, and people in the world can still be convicted of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. What we have in this book is sufficient. We have the miracles that were performed. And we can read these miracles for us to believe in Jesus, that indeed he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so understanding this, you think about what the Holy Spirit is doing today. He's still convicting people today through his word. And so that's something that the Holy Spirit is still doing today. There's something else I want you to think about. We read about in Romans chapter 8 real quickly here that the Holy Spirit is working on our behalf in heaven. The Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, is working on our behalf in heaven. It's a very encouraging text here in Romans chapter 8, in verse 26 and 27, where Paul said, "...in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness." For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know exactly how all of this works, and that's okay. What I do know is that the Spirit is still working on our behalf, which means that we need to trust and continue to pray to our Heavenly Father by faith. This, my friend, should give us great confidence. In fact, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17. Paul, as he talked about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17, he said, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray according to the will of of, of God. And and know that God's will has been revealed to us by the Spirit through His Word. And so pray and be confident that that God is going to hear your prayers and that the Spirit is working on our behalf in heaven. What is the Spirit doing today? He's working on our behalf right now. His Word still has the power to convict the hearts of men. That's That's what's going on even today. And finally... We need to understand something very significant about the Spirit: that one can still receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One can still receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Look at Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, we read this language. In Acts chapter two, in verse number thirty-eight, that's what Peter told those uh, the, those in the crowd. He said, "Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, sin, of your sins." And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you could do a whole class on this too, but we're going to wrap this up here in just a few minutes. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe when he says the gift of the Holy Spirit here, that it is a promised gift of salvation. That the Spirit had spoken of in times past, and all that it entails. If you remember, Peter is quoting from Joel chapter two, verses twenty-eight through thirty-two, back in Acts two, beginning in verse number sixteen through twenty-one. And Peter is going to talk about what the prophet had said about salvation in verse twenty-one. It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What Peter is going to do, he's he's just going to unpack that verse. He's going to make it very clear to them who the Lord is. That's why in verse 36 he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's making it very clear. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. We saw earlier how Peter talked about his life and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And later on, in verse number 24 through 28, he's going to quote from Psalm 16 as he spoke about the resurrection and what David said, that that the Messiah's soul would not be abandoned to, to Hades, that indeed he would rise again. In verse number 30, he said, and so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead And spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. And so, what Peter's doing, he is demonstrating that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He is both Lord and Christ and that now he is reigning at the right hand of God in heaven. That's what he says in verse 33. Therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. It was Jesus who had received this promise from the Holy Spirit that he would not see corruption, that he would be raised from the grave, and that he would reign in heaven. That's what the Spirit had foretold by the prophets of old. And that is exactly what is happening or what happened back in the first century. And so as Peter goes through all of this, talking about Jesus, he's demonstrating that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And he's helping them now to see in verse 38, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved how do you call upon the name of the lord and what is the result those who repent and those who are baptized for the forgiveness of the sins that's how you call upon the name of the lord and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit and that is parallel to that idea of shall be saved the promised gift of salvation that the holy spirit spoke about in times past and i believe that's what the gift of the holy spirit is there now we can talk so much more about this But I want you just to get to know the Spirit a little bit more. And so as you think about the Holy Spirit, one can still receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not talking about miracles, all right? That's not talking about miracles. Miracles have ceased. But it is talking about the promised gift of salvation that the the Spirit spoke about in times past through the prophets. This gift is amazing because it was available in the first century and it's still available now for those who desire it. Now, I'm going to stop here. There's a lot more that we could say, but I want you just to consider what we've learned so far. The Spirit, the Father, and the Son, you've got to say they are awesome. And we also got to say that they love us very much. Look at what they have done. The book of Acts demonstrates the Holy Spirit in action, and it helps us to see the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is a powerful book. The Holy Spirit was in action in the first century. He is still He is still alive and well in the 21st century. He is still working on our behalf. And what this really should help us to think about is that the Holy Spirit should not just be like an afterthought to us. We don't have to be afraid to study this. While there are some challenging concepts, we need to take the time to understand the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we also need to do something else. We need to make sure that we truly listen to the Holy Spirit. You want to listen to the Holy Spirit, don't look to hear from Him in a dream. Don't look to hear from Him in a small, still voice. Hear from Him right now from God's Word. That's how we can do it. Thank you for your attention. Now, let me just close by saying this. If we have not been listening to the Spirit through His Word and trusting what He has given us in His Word, we really need to. We really need to take this to heart. And I will say this, if you have not received the free gift of salvation, it's still available. It's still available for people. We saw that yesterday, where someone put on Christ in baptism. Now is the time. And for all of us who are Christians, those of us who are thinking about becoming Christians, don't grieve Him any longer. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't resist Him any longer. Listen to what He says and to how He wants us to live. And like Peter said, be saved from this perverse generation. If you need to be saved, come now as we stand and as we sing. I heard